As we walk out the journey of life, we each begin to thirst for something more. We want more than just life the way we know it. It's a thirst for more peace, more fulfillment, more purpose. That was God's plan all along. Since the ancient times, he has made promises that he will quench that thirst. And the promises he made long ago are the same promises he has made for us today. Good morning, True Life. How's everybody doing this morning? <laughs> Tim's good. All right, good. Man, I just feel like I looked a lot thinner when they filmed that video of me walking in the field. I dressed cooler, too. Skinny jeans and those cool boots people are wearing. I can't pull any of that off. So we're kicking off a brand new series today called Four Cups. Really excited about this series. And uh, want to encourage you, if you haven't already, hit our website, truelife.tv forward slash store. And uh, you can buy a copy of the book by Chris Hodges called Four Cups. We're going to be working through that uh, together as a church. Don't worry, you'll still get a lot out of the messages if you're a sinner and you refuse to read the book. I'm joking. I'm joking. That doesn't make you a sinner. Well, kind of, but not really. Just kidding. Joking, I promise. I'm like, I'm leaving. No, you're not. But but we do encourage you because there's going to be some things we share in the messages over the next six weeks that aren't in the book, and uh, and th- really there's a lot about the the systems and the model that Chris Hodges developed at Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama, that really flow out of the thoughts that are going to happen in this series and in that book, and and that is probably out of all the places that we've learned from and kind of what I like to call distance mentoring. Um, that has probably been the place that has the most influence on what we do as a church, really there in, in my home church celebration in Jacksonville, Florida. We, I feel like we're kind of like somewhere in the middle of those because uh, we're trying to follow this one model, but we're also kind of crazy and loud, and, and uh, that's definitely celebration. And, um, and uh, come on, we are, we're right, we're a little crazy and, and loud around here. I mean, I heard, I, you don't get to hear Joel shout that often, and uh I'd just like to know now that if you make him shout, his voice cracks. So it's like going back, you know, 20 years or whatever. And and because uh, he's old, somebody, a college kid told him he's old. So <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. So uh, before I jump into the series, though, just like I said, want to remind you, grab the book. It's worth it. Read the book. It's a short read. It's only seven chapters. And here's kind of how the series is going to flow today would line up probably most closely with the first chapter of the book. Uh, Next week will kind of be a a mush of chapters two and three, and then we'll spend the last four weeks of the series uh, working through the last four chapters of the book, all right? And uh, did I get that right? Yeah, I did. That that totals seven. And um, I always look at the math guy whenever I'm worried about numbers. But uh, so, and and we'll work through those last four weeks through each of those four cups that I'm going to explain to you today. Get it out there. But before I do that, um, man, last weekend was Easter. Come on, it's always good to celebrate the risen king. But, you know, I think shouldn't shouldn't every week be like Easter, right? I mean, it's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that any of us get to have any kind of life, that we get to have the, 
the powerful worship like we had this morning and band, you guys did a, a, a great job as usual. But I just wanted to share some numbers with you, share some statistics from last week so that you would know what you accomplished as a church, uh, because it was a very, very powerful weekend for us. And just let me give you some background on this. I'm just going to be honest with you. I didn't say this to anybody until after Easter service was over. Um, but coming into Easter, I really... I didn't have low expectations. I keep telling people I had no expectations because what they told us when my wife and I were going through this process of learning how to start a church and training is that it takes four or five years before you become the church that people go to on Easter. Because when you're the new church, everybody goes back with their family to mom's church, to grandma's church, to wherever on Easter Sunday. And so honestly, I kind of came in thinking, well, if we just stay even with uh, kind of what the normal weekend for us has looked like. That'll be a win. We'll be happy with, with that. And uh, prior to last weekend, the largest service we've ever had, attendance-wise, at True Life was 142 people. That was at the end of this past February. And um, so we celebrated that with, with cake. Our life team, we have a big cake every time we... Um, but check it out. Last weekend for Easter service, we that number got smashed. 164 people showed up to experience Easter with us. At True Life last weekend. So yeah, give yourselves a hand because good job. And that's not even the most exciting number. About 12 of those were here for the very first time, first time guests. And then the really the exciting one is at the end we do that spiritual survey, A, B, C, D. And A means I already have a relationship with Jesus. B means I'd like to begin a relationship today. C says I'm considering it a bit more first. I'm not quite there yet. D says I don't ever plan to. And and we did have a couple of people write C and D. And honestly, this might sound strange when I say it, but that's a win for us because that's who we want coming to True Life Church is the people who are going, nah, I don't really know if I'm into this whole God thing. I don't know if I'm there. That's who we started the church for. We want to reach people. Listen, we don't need to be the coolest church in town that everybody comes to from the other churches and we blow up for a little while until somebody else is cooler than us. We want to reach lost people. We want to make heaven bigger and hell smaller. Come on, somebody. That's who we are as a church. So we're, I was thrilled to see people write C and D. I'm concerned for their soul, obviously, but that's who should be here. And then the really exciting one is 11 people wrote B and said, today's the day I'm going to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. So come on, I think we ought to give God a hand for that powerful weekend here last weekend. You guys did a great job. We got a story actually from one gentleman who's been coming for a little over a year um, who had, had been homeless and, uh, and wrote a story on the back of a connection card and just said, hey, I'm the guy that tithed 12 cents about this time last year. And I remember because we had a, uh, an offering envelope that he had written. This is all I've got. God, please help me and uh, make it. Help me make it through the week. And I, he said, I tithe 12 cents and you guys have been helping me. He said, I just want you to know, like, uh, I got a job. They're shipping me off to Chicago for some manager training. When I come home, I'll be making $40,000 a year. I've been a living under a roof for the last 11 months. I might get married. Thank you, True Life, for, for everything you do for me. So, Man, I just want you to know, God is doing some cool stuff through you guys. It's through y'all. And, um, man, what a what an awesome thing to be a part of, to see God changing lives. That's really what it's all about, right, is life change and seeing people uh, come closer to him and have their lives turned around. You with me? Oh, come on. You with me? Man, I, don't, I might have to do, like, some intravenous caffeine drips for some of y'all on Sunday to get you going. All right. Come on. Come on. Are you with me this morning? There we go. All right. That's better. That's more like it. 
And uh, check this out. Our kid zone team next door on Easter last week, they even found a way to use Frozen uh, it, to teach the gospel. And uh, it was awesome. My daughter was like, Frozen, yay. She knows all the songs. She, sang, she was standing in our driveway yesterday singing at the top of her lungs, doing a show for my wife and I. And I'm sure the whole neighborhood was like, please, quiet. But we loved it. So sing louder, baby. You go. So um, if you've started reading the book, you're, some of what I'm about to say to you, you've already read. And um, I have never had the opportunity to visit the Holy Land and, and go to Israel. It's on my list. It's one of the things I'd like to do someday. But every time I talk to someone who's been or I hear somebody tell a story of being there, one of the things that is consistent is they, they always talk about how what they pictured in their mind Israel would be like in these places where Jesus was and, and the things that he did. When they picture that in their mind and then they go there and see it, in reality, it's very different from what was painted in their minds. And, and so you kind of have this picture of, man, I wonder what the Jordan River looked like where people were getting baptized. And you go there and you see it and it just doesn't look the same. And, and I heard, I heard Chris Hodges, who wrote the book, just a few weeks ago, talk about going over there. And, and uh, you know, we've all, at Christmas time, we, we set up mangers, right? We put them on our mantles. We put them on our coffee tables. And, and so he's with a tour guide. And, and uh, he, he, this tour guide takes him to a place. He said, this is probably what that manger was like, that stable where Jesus was born. And they're like, no, this doesn't look like what's on my coffee table or my mantle. And what it actually was is a cave. And so he says, yeah, Jesus probably wasn't actually born in a stable the way you set it up. It was probably actually like a cave, which I know that just ruins all of your decorations right there for the holidays. There's a lot of things, though, that we kind of think it was probably like this. And then when you go and see it, it, it's a little bit different. And there's a there's several things in the even the stories within the Bible. And we're going to talk a little bit about Passover, which that season just passed us. We're going to look at Jewish history quite a bit during the series. And, and so there's some things even there that uh, we probably in our Western culture don't know what was really happening and what was going on. One of them is that the, the, the Passover, we always think about the Last Supper where Jesus sat there with his disciples. Remember, and he, he takes, this is where we get our communion tradition from. And we read that scripture together and he takes, I'll tell you when, Todd, so not yet. He takes, um, he takes the bread and he says, take, eat, this is my body. And he says, here, here, drink. And. And so I've always, like probably most of you, until I read this book, until I heard Chris talk, I just thought about that cup of wine that they drink as a part of the Passover feast, and uh, that there's probably just that one cup, and they would pass it around. But what, what actually we can learn if we study Jewish history is that at that Passover feast, there wasn't just one cup, there were actually four cups. And that's where the name of the book and the name of the series come from. There were four cups, and those four cups represented... Um, the four I will promises that God made to the Israelites when he was bringing them out of Egypt. Now, just to illustrate it for you this morning, I got on the internet, I did a lot of research, and I was actually able to find um, a really accurate, detailed drawing of what this probably looked like at the Last Supper. It's probably the closest thing to a photograph. And so I just wanted so you see the difference. This is probably what we think happened in this first picture here of the Last Supper right here. So you can see this is obviously very accurate. Those are beards. They're not sticking their tongue out at you. Those are beards. So we probably think they've got, you know, their nice unleavened bread. There should be more laughter. I worked hard on this. 
I realized recently that there's this giant screen up here and I should use it every once in a while. And uh, so it wasn't this. There wasn't just the one cup. There were actually, go ahead, Todd. There was probably, probably looked more like this. Oh, four cups. And when you think that you go from one cup of wine to four cups of wine, it becomes much easier to understand why they're all smiling and happy. Because there's a lot more drinking going on. All right, so four cups of wine, and that's probably, that's probably what it looked like. I mean, exactly like it right there. So, <laughs> so you can take it down, Todd. That'll be a distraction if we leave it up there. So Jewish Passover, it actually ended, the festival ended last week. And still to this day, when the Jewish people have Passover and they get together for that feast, there's four cups. And they represent these four I will promises that God made to the Israelites coming out of Egypt. In fact, if you read the story of the Last Supper in the book of Luke, in chapter 22, it becomes more apparent now, why does the cup become mentioned? There's the cup is mentioned several times. And it makes sense now, because there's not just one cup, there were actually four cups that they drank from. And each cup represents a statement. Each one represents God's plan for people's lives. And check it out, they're eternal. And a lot of times we think that the God we serve and the, the promises he's made to us really only start in the New Testament. And it's not true. I'm going to show it to you. There are four promises that God made his people over 3,000 years ago, started with in Egypt. And all of it aligns perfectly with the four things we believe God has called us to do as a church. And we believe we have the structure as a church to fit around these four promises that God made. And, and, and here's, here's really what it's all about. At True Life Church, we want to make sure that we're a place that's about what God wants to do, not what we want to, want to do. I'm going to start over here just for... All right. Hey, hey, y'all. Oh, goodness. At True Life Church. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have started over. I had four cups this morning. All right. So I didn't. I didn't. Some of you are like, <clears throat> at True Life Church, we want to be all about what God wants to do, not about what we want to do. Hello. Amen. All right. So we think it's important that over the next six weeks that we try to take this journey together. And so I want to encourage you to try to stick with it for the long haul for the next six weeks. Now, if this isn't your home church, you've got a couple of options. You can make it your home church. I'm just... If you're, if you're a guest, we would love to have you back. We're glad you're here. Um, if you're visiting from out of town, you can hop online and listen to the messages over the next six weeks. Read the book. You can even go to churchoftheislands.com and listen to Chris preach it. He probably does a better job than me. All right. A um, couple, couple options that way. But what I'd really like to ask you to do is if you're local, if you don't have a different church that you normally attend, let's commit to go on this journey together over the next six weeks. Because I think God is going to do something powerful in our hearts. He's going to renew our minds as we understand these promises. And they, they started over 3,000 years ago. And here's who I think this series will really help, because I think there's probably some people in the room today who, when you kind of look at life and you, all that you've experienced and all that, that you've encompassed, there's, there's still this nagging feeling, this nagging thought within you that says, there's got to be more. There's got to be more than that. And I want to show you over the next six weeks, yes, there is more. And it all gets tied back to these four promises that God originally made to his people 
over 3,000 years ago. There's still the promises he's making to you today if you'll respond to him. So let's, let's take some time to understand promises this morning. I want to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, and it says this. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate. Come on, how many want to participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires? So through the promises God has made, you and I can kind of disconnect from everything that the world has to offer, and we can become participators in the supernatural, in the divine nature. Come on, don't you think that's a better way to live, connected to the supernatural stuff that God is doing? And for many of us, the world's reality looks bigger than God's reality. It does. The world's reality looks bigger than God's reality. And what I want to show you is that taking hold of God's promises will help us go from living a natural life to living a supernatural life. And that's what I want. Come on, don't you want to live a supernatural life? No? Thank you, God, for the service. Amen. Band, come on up. Come on, do you want to live a supernatural life instead of living a natural life? Isn't that what you want? I mean, I hope that's what you want. If you... If, if you don't, this is, this is the wrong service to be in because we are going to talk about living the supernatural life. So we've got to understand God's promises. In your notes, here's the first fill-in. Just the simple definition of the word promise is this, an offer with a guaranteed result. An offer with a guaranteed result. And the whole idea today is this, that God has an offer on the table. And all of us, all of us, yes, all of us probably haven't realized all of it yet. Like there's some stuff that God has in the palm of his hand outstretched to you. And it's a promise that he's made to you. But we probably haven't realized all that's there for us to take yet. Look at Joshua chapter 21 verse 45. Not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything, come on, say everything. Everything he had spoken came true. That's good news. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17, I'm reading from the message. When God wanted to guarantee his promises, he gave his word. A rock-solid guarantee. God can't break his word. And because his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. We who've run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. And that's what I hope will happen for you today is you'll start the process of understanding the promises that God has for your life and that you will run and grab on with both hands. Come on, how many know life can be a little rocky, a little shaky, a little crazy, but if we can run to the Father and grab hold of everything that he's promised us with both hands, we can survive the storm. We can hang on. We can make it. But we got to know what we're grabbing onto. We got to know what the promises are. So three things we need to know about promises. Here's the first one. Number one, I need to know his promises. I need to know his promises. I can't walk around and say, I'm hanging on to God's promises. What are they? I don't know. I need to know them. I need to know what they are. Look at First Chronicles 17, 19. Lord, for the sake of your servant and according to your will, You've done this great thing and made known 
all these great promises. The Bible really is a book of promises. And you can't know how to live out God's plan for your life without his word. Hello, somebody. Someone's like, man, I just don't understand why it's not working out. Why? I just don't know what God wants from me. And then one of my favorite questions to ask in this scenario when I'm having this conversation with somebody is I say, well, how are, how are you doing with just like getting into his word and reading the Bible? I don't do that. Well, you can't know what God wants for you and what he has for you if you're not willing to crack open the book that spells it all out for you. It's in there. So you got to get in it, man. You got to find it's a book of promises. Just Friday afternoon, um, I tweeted about it because after it was over, I, I laughed. It was funny at the time. It wasn't funny. <clears throat> My son has been getting over a double ear infection and he's got the like the post nasal drip and we thought he was getting better. And then all of a sudden, like Thursday after Thursday, he, he just got this cough, man. And it was just bad. It was uncontrollable. Couldn't nap, barely slept Thursday night, Friday, couldn't. So I had gone up, sat with him in a rocking chair and was just rocking him, trying to soothe him a little bit and help him sleep. And um, I, I didn't really even know this, but coughing can trigger a gag reflex. My son had just had lunch. I'll let you connect the dots. So he nailed me, man. I'm like, it's okay, buddy. Shh. <laughs> and I did what every man should do. Honey! Help me! Like, a third, but the third, honey! She's like, what? I'm like, I need help! I don't know what to do. So she picks him up off of me, and as she's picking him up, blah! Another attack. It's awesome. So, you know, we called the doctor and they're like, well, there's no appointments left today. Why don't you bring him in tomorrow morning? Which means we'd have to go down to A.I. DuPont. So my wife and I, we're, we just had a, we're having a conversation Friday night, laying in bed and just talking about things. And we're talking about Jesus. And, and we ended up praying, man. We just prayed like, God, would you heal our son and, and uh, just help him feel better? You know, your word... It's a book of promises, right? Your word says, by your stripes, we're healed. So, God, we just claim that over Benjamin. And, and uh, you know, he went to sleep that night. He hadn't had a good night's sleep in a couple nights. We slept through the night, got up the next morning. My wife brings him into the, the bedroom. She's like, I haven't heard him make a single cough this morning. Not one. Called the nurse. Do we need to come in? No, you don't have to come in. We went all day Saturday. He might have coughed twice. And I think he's coughed a couple times this morning just with that little bit of leftover stuff. But we were just kind of looking at each other like, that's got to be Jesus, right? I mean, that drastic of a turnaround from Friday night to the, the kid got to sleep. He got to take some naps. Listen, it's a, the Bible is a book of promises. And we got to know what the promises are if we're going to claim them over our lives. Come on, somebody. I remember... I, I don't, don't want to get all the details, but I've shared before, like, like both of our kids are kind of miracles. And I remember when we were just kind of going through this process of trying to start a family, my wife had taped these scriptures. They were everywhere. They're on every mirror. They're on the refrigerator all around the house. And I, I remember if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, be cast into the sea and it has to go. Come on. That's a promise. 
that the Bible's made to us. And so when you're facing an issue in your life, man, go to the promise. When the mountain comes up in front of you, all it takes is a little bit of faith to say, you know what? God's on my side. I can speak to the mountain. How many of us have faced some mountains, like maybe in your job? Maybe things aren't going the way. Maybe your marriage feels like a big mountain right now. You know, don't elbow your spouse. It's not a good time to do that. That's the, that doesn't help. You're the mountain. <laughs> don't do that. You know, I, at times in my life, I've struggled with, uh, with insecurity. And, and, and still, to this day, I do a lot of times. And, and I'll, I'll find myself getting back into an old habit. Well, so-and-so is really, are they really on my side? Are they really on my team? Or do they really like me? Did, did, did everybody like the preaching? And did, did they like everything that I said? And, and, which is bad for me because I put my foot in my mouth all the time anyway. So you couple that with insecurity. This is a life of anxiety that I could, that I could end up living. And, you know, and I'm just so thankful there's promises that are in the Bible for when those things start to happen. And when the old habits come back and my mind starts to go out of control, I can start to think about things like God hasn't given me a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power, love and a sound mind. I don't have to lay around and be freaked out about whether or not everybody's in agreement with everything that I say, because Jesus has already made me complete and whole. And he's in agreement with the calling on my life. Come on. It's a book of promises. It's a book of promises. And I would encourage you, if you haven't already, to do whatever it takes to get a consistent reading habit going in your life. Now, I don't know what that looks like for you. I, I know one of the tools that I strongly suggest is to get the app on your phone or your iPad or whatever you use. The Bible app, it's free. There's a hundred different versions of the Bible to choose from there. And there's all kinds of different reading plans. We, in our house, we always try to stick to one that takes us through the Bible in a whole year. You don't have to do that. But the thing I like about it is that I get some Old Testament every day, some New Testament every day. And how many know sometimes you can read some Old Testament and you're like, what? Or you're like, I don't care who begat, 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 who begat. It's like it just goes on forever. I don't care. All right, so sometimes you read the Old Testament you're like, Okay, I read it. Then you get to the New Testament. And I like to think my chances of having God speak to me are a little better once I get to the New Testament. But even that, sometimes I'm like, okay, yeah, I just didn't really get anything new or fresh out of that. But then there's Proverbs and Psalms. And you can always get something. A little dose of wisdom out of Proverbs or a little dose of praise out of Psalms. So I just, I, I like that. I like that reading plan. And here's what I do. And that's what I would encourage you to do. I think we overcomplicate Bible reading sometimes. When you get into God's word every day, have a plan that you follow, not out of religious rule, but just because it helps you have the best chance of getting something out of it. Follow a plan and look for your promise for the day. Look for that one verse that you can kind of hang your hat on and go, man, that was for me today. That was good. That helped me. That spoke to me. If you can do that, you'll start making progress in your spiritual maturity in your walk with God. Come on, somebody. You just look for that one thing that God wants to promise you every day. And before you know it, you'll find yourself in love with God's word. You'll find yourself in a place where if you go a day without it, you don't, you don't feel right. It feels like something's off. You're moody, you're grumpy, whatever. So use it. Get into God's word because it's a book of promises. And there isn't a situation you can face that God hasn't put a promise in place for. It's not. There's not a situation you can face that God has not put a promise in that book for. You can even go to the Christian bookstore and get a little book of Bible promises. And whatever topic you're facing a struggle, 
Some people, I remember like the uber religious people were always like, that's, that's not really reading the Bible. That's how they sound too. When you've been in church like 80 years and you still talk the same and look the same, and that, that's how they sound. You need to, don't use, no man, go get it. It's scripture. God's word never returns void. There's a promise. So whatever you got to do to get it in your life, you get it in your life. Somebody should have amen that. A little bit louder. I need to know his promises. Number two, I need to understand his promises. I need to understand them. Look at Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. It says, God is not a man. Whew, I'm glad we cleared that up. That's deep right there. God is not a man. So he does not, what? Lie. He's not human. So he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? And some of you are thinking, yeah, and I'm telling you, no. He may not have worked in your timing, but he has never failed to act. Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Some of you are thinking, it's starting to feel like it. But I'm telling you, whatever it is that you're going through, he's working on something bigger than what you can see right now. If you just hang on. See, one of the things God likes to teach us is patience. He's never slow, but he is patient. And he doesn't work on our clock. He doesn't work on our timing. He always works on his. You just need to trust him. There's two things that you need to understand about his promises. And that's that they are unconditional. This is the first one you need to understand. They're unconditional, but they're conditional. What? They're unconditional, but they're conditional. What do you mean by that? I mean they're unconditional in that when he makes up his mind and makes a promise, he'll never pull that promise back. He's always wanting to fulfill that promise for you. But they're conditional in that there are some promises that we can never take full advantage of if we don't get ourselves positioned in the right place to take advantage of it. For instance, and you're ready to get a lot of people mad at me right here. God bless my business, bless my finances, bless my bank account. And God's sitting up in heaven going, man, I want to fulfill that promise on your life, but you're not generous. You're not faithful with what I already gave you, so I can't give you more. Somebody get me a gospel organ right now. You don't, you don't tithe. You don't return to God what's already his. And by the way, generosity is a real simple thing to figure out if you can get this one truth in your mind. And that is that none of it's mine, all of it's his. All of it's his. I can tell the, the people who figured it out and they're living a life of blessing, they're like, yes. Because here's the deal. The only person that doesn't like to tithe is the person that never has. The only person that doesn't like to be generous is the person that's never tried being generous. Because when you go there, the blessing of God gets poured on in your life and you never question it ever again. Beat that. All right. They're unconditional, but they're conditional. God, bless my marriage. I want to. Are you going to get in a small group and get some accountability with some men in your life and deal with the lust issues and the pornography? I want to bless your marriage, but there's some conditions first. Come on, somebody. I am preaching this morning. God, bless my kids. I don't know why my kids keep acting up. And God's going, I want to bless your kids. I want to see your kids be healthy and whole and happy. But you're going to have to make some choices and spend some time with them and invest in their lives. 
You're going to have to stop losing your temper with them all the time. Come on, somebody. They're unconditional, but they're conditional. You play a role in every promise. Like walking in right relationship with God. When my kids. There are certain times that I withhold blessing my kids. Why? Because they didn't do the right thing. And they took themselves out of the position for blessing. Daddy, I want to go play at a friend's house. I really want you to go play at a friend's house. But you were kind of disrespectful to mom today. So you don't get to go play at a friend's house today. You took yourself out of position for blessing. Listen, we deal with a heavenly father and it works the same way. It's not that he doesn't want to give you the promise. It's not that he doesn't want to bless you. It's that sometimes we remove ourselves from the position where he can fulfill the promise. Yeah, no, we don't like that, but it's true. It's in your Bible. Read it. That was the first point. All right. Here's the second thing you need to understand about promises is that they always require faith. They always require faith. I don't know we don't like it, but we've got to get used to it. Because God wants to get you to the point in your life where you trust and depend on him and nothing else. Did you catch that? Now I'm going to have to go up here to preach. God wants to get you to the place in your life where you trust and depend on him and nothing else. Nothing else. But I trust in my ability to go create a good product at my job and work and make money. Yeah, you only have that talent because he gave it to you. So you got to get to the place where you trust in him. This is a lesson God has been teaching me over the last several years, that he is my source. Nothing else is my source. I was just talking to an overseer about this this last week because I fight this tendency in me. Our church is growing. we got great things going on. I don't know how we get from here to the next step. I know that we can't fit in this building forever. I know that we are running out of room for our kids. And, and in my flesh, in my human self, I think I got to go. I got to find I got to find somebody with money. I got to I got to do a sales pitch and get them to give and be generous. So we, and you know what God is teaching me is the harder I work to try to fix the problem, the more he's going to let the problem linger. Because I'm not the source. He's the source. So for y'all's sake, you might want to pray. I figure that one out quickly. <laughs> We don't want to linger there forever. God's the source. He's the source. And it requires faith. It's impossible. The Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. But you can't. God does it his way and in his time. And that's how he teaches us. He does it his way and his time. And that's how he teaches us. 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding. Come on now. With a resounding. Yes, and through Christ, our amen, which means yes. By the way, this is why preachers always try to get you to amen, because amen means yes, I want that. I'm in agreement. I'll take it. In fact, in our church, if you don't want to sound churchy, you can just yell yes. (laughs) God wants to bless you. You should Napoleon dynamite it. Yes. All right. They're yes, and through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for whose glory? For his glory. For his glory. All right, here's the third thing. I need to pursue his promises. I need to pursue his promises. And this is really where the rest of the series is going to speak to us. We're going to show you how to pursue 
God's promises for your life. Look what David said, Psalm 119, verse 140. Our promises have been thoroughly, I'm sorry, your promises have been thoroughly tested. That's why I love them so much. God, your promises, even when it didn't look like they were going to work out, even when it didn't look like it was going to come through, even when I thought there's no way God's abandoned me this time. No, in his timing and just the right way, God came through and fulfilled his promises. And so David says, God, you always pass the test. And that's why I love your promises so much. You claim it. It doesn't work. You walk away. No, you stick with it. You keep claiming the promise of God on your life. Test them. Test the promises. Psalm 119, 148. David says, I stay awake through the night thinking about my problem. No. Thinking about everything that's got me stressed out. No. Look what's keeping David awake. Thinking about your promise. Man, don't you want to get there? Where, you, where Instead of laying awake at night going, God, how am I going to fix this? How am I going to deal with this? Instead, we're laying in bed and we just can't sleep because we're so excited. because We're like, God, you're really going to do that. I can't wait. That's going to be awesome. It takes that kind of zeal to realize God's promises for your life. If you look up the etymology of the word promise, the root where it comes from, what it actually means is to send forth a guarantee that's always about your future. So in other words, God has sent forth some guarantees about your future and all we have to do is know them, understand them, and pursue them. And we'll see those promises realized in our lives. Come on, don't you want that this morning? Don't you want that? Okay, what are they? I'm glad you asked. So I'm going to give you the preview today, all right? And then we're going to unpack all of these over the next five weeks of the series. Let's look at Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. We're going to go, these are the four cups now. And what these, re, what these come from is the Jewish people, they'll drink from four cups during Passover, and each cup represents an I will promise that God made. In fact, they reread this scripture every year at Passover as they drink from the four cups. So check it out. Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. And here's the first one. And I will bring you out. Everybody say, bring you out. Bring you out. From under the yoke of the Egyptians. Remember the Israelites, they were slaves. And what is God saying? He's saying, hey, I'm going to save you. I'm going to rescue you from your slavery with Egypt. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you. That's the second one. Everybody say free you from being slaves to them. I know those kind of sound like the same, but they're not. I'll show you in a second. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And with mighty acts of judgment. By the way, redeem means to take it, take something and put it back for the original purpose that it was made for. Some of us just need that today. We need to know that God can get us back on track and do with our lives what he originally intended. And then verse 7, I'll take you as my own people and I'll be your God. Then you'll know that I'm the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So what we're going to do is we're going to dissect that scripture real quick. It's not going to take very long at all. And we're going to look at these four cups throughout the rest of the series. And so today, here's the teaser. So let's look at the first one, the four promises. Here's the first one. I will bring you out. And in your notes, I want you to write it down. Here's the first promise. God promises me salvation. God promises me salvation. God said 
to the Egyptian people, hey, I'm going to, I will. Don't you like it when God says, I will? Because he pretty much, he doesn't falter on that. So he says, I am making available to you the gift of salvation. Here's the problem. A lot of us think, okay, yeah, I get that one. That's simple enough. But, but many times, many believers, many Christians, they will stay at this first cup. They'll never drink from the other three cups. This is where they'll go and this is where they'll stop. Heaven, I'm down. No hell, sounds good. Cool church service every once in a while, count me in. But that's as far as we'll go. And we're stuck at the cup of salvation. Here's the problem for most of us. We think because we grew up in church or signed a card or attend every Sunday, that that's what brings salvation to our lives. And I got to tell you, that's not what brings salvation to your life. That speaks to your relationship with a church. That doesn't speak to your relationship with God. You can have an outstanding relationship with your church and have a horrible relationship with God. You can have a great outstanding relationship with your church and not even have a relationship with God. Why? Because if you've never prayed that simple prayer, God, I receive the salvation you have for me. Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. Please forgive me of them. I repent from who I was and I turn towards you. Come into my life and save me. If you've never had that moment of surrender, you haven't drank from the cup of salvation. In fact, there's a scripture here that kind of tells us what it looks like before we're in a relationship with God. So that we can contrast that with what it might look like after. It's in Titus chapter 3, verse 3 through 8. I'm reading from the message again here because I just like the way this articulates it. It says, it wasn't so long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn. (laughs) Dupes of sin. Ordered every which way by our glands. Going around with a chip on our shoulder. Hated and hating back. But when God, our kind and loving Savior God, stepped in, He saved us from all that. Aren't you thankful? It was all His doing. We had nothing to do with it. He gave us a good bath. And we came out of it new people, washed inside and out by the Holy Spirit. Our Savior, Jesus, poured out new life so generously. God's gift has restored our relationship with Him and given us back our lives. And there's more life to come, an eternity of life. You can count on this. My prayer for you today, if you haven't already, is that today you'll make a decision to drink from the cup of salvation. Because it's a free gift. It's a promise. And all you have to do is receive it. There's an offer on the table. But check it out. This is where a lot of us stop. We drink from the cup of salvation. We don't go any further. Check it out. There's more. It gets better. It's like a late night infomercial that you go, it's too good to be true. Do I really get two of those for $12? Now I get four of them. What? Four promises. It doesn't stop at the first one. And it is free, by the way. Here's the second one. Here's the second I will. He says, I will free you. In other words, God promises me, write it down, deliverance. Deliverance. There's two things I got to say about this real quick. One is a lot of us see this word deliverance and we kind of go, what? We think... We think poltergeist and head spinning backwards and we got to fling holy water and cast out demons and stuff gets weird. And that's so that's we hear deliverance. That's what we think is supposed to happen. Like it has to get weird, right? No, it doesn't. Deliverance isn't weird. Here's how I want you to think about these two promises. These first two promises. God says, I'll bring you out of Egypt. That's one piece. But see, the problem was when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they didn't know how to stop living like slaves. 
So what God was saying is not only do I have to get you out of Egypt, but I've got to get the Egypt out of you. And that's what deliverance is. It's when we allow God to come into our lives. And in our church, this really happens. The best place for it to happen is through relationships and small groups. Is when we get okay with the idea of, okay, God, I don't want even I've, I've, I've drink from the cup of salvation. I've received that and I've got this relationship with you, but. I don't know how to stop living my old life. That's what deliverance is about. It's for the people who are stuck living their old life. Because God wants to not just bring you out of Egypt, but he wants to get the Egypt out of you. And I think probably 80 to 90% of us are stuck right here at deliverance. In fact, some of us don't understand what deliverance is and that we need to move out of our old life into a new life. Some of us are, are stuck in a cycle of constant deliverance. And we're, you're, you're stuck in this... I mean, that's why some people get saved every Sunday. Because, oh, I just feel so guilty from everything I've done the past week. I'll just pray the prayer again. I felt good after I prayed the prayer. Stop it. Let God show up in your life and get the Egypt out of you. You don't have to be stuck in the old life anymore. That's what is grace. But I don't deserve it. I'm so bad. That's what grace was for. To set you free so you can live a free life. Romans 7.35. So you see how it is in my mind. Check it out. You're thinking, but I'm so embarrassed that I get stuck in my old life. Maybe this will help you feel better. The Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, look what he says. So you see how it is? In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. The guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament is saying, hey, I still struggle with getting the Egypt out of me. So don't be embarrassed. It's not a shame thing. Let's come to the cross, man. Let's come to Jesus and say, you know what? I'm tired of it. I'm tired of being stuck in the cycle. I don't want to just drink from one cup or two cups. God, I want all the promises that you have for me. Deliver me from my old life so I can completely live out the new life that you have planned for me. Come on, there's freedom there, everybody. Romans 8, 1 and 2. So now there is no condemnation. Thank God. For those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. God doesn't just have a plan to get you out of Egypt. He has a plan to get the Egypt out of you. But tons are stuck there and we never get to the third cup. And here it is. He says, I will redeem you. And write it down. God promises me restoration god promises me salvation (coughs) excuse me god god promises me deliverance and god promises me restoration and redeem simply means to restore back to its original purpose let me move quickly ephesians 1 11 it's in christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for did you catch that It's in Christ. Hey, single person, it's not in the next relationship that you're going to find out who you are and finally get comfortable with it. Hey, married couple, maybe if we just have another baby, they'll finally fix it. We just need a bigger house or a new car. No, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. Before you were born, God had a perfect plan laid out for your life. And you know what it means? 
to be redeemed is just to get your life back into alignment with what God already had planned for you. Because it's a good plan. It's a perfect plan. And this is what we want to do as a church. We want to get you out of Egypt. We want to get the Egypt out of you. And we want you to find your purpose. And then, cup four. I'll take you as my own people. I'll take you as my own people. God promises me fulfillment. And here's what I want you to notice. The first three cups. I'll bring you out. I'll free you. I'll redeem you. All individual promises. The last one. I'll take you as my own people. See, when we drink from all four cups, God never finishes his work and leaves us as an individual. He always restores us to a people, a community, a family, a team. And what I want to say to you is maybe you drink from the first three cups and you're going, but I still just don't really feel that fulfillment. It's because you've never gotten yourself attached to a team that's working together to fulfill the promises of God, to fulfill the plans of God. And that's why you've never experienced Real fulfillment in your life. The first three are individual. The last one isn't God making you a person. It's God making you a people. He makes you a part of a team and a family. And you'll never know how great life can be. Come on up, guys. Until you're a part of a team making a difference. What does that look like, John 10.10? The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy I've come that they may have what? Come on, church. I've come that they may have what? Life. And have it to the full. You want to live full life? You want to live a satisfying life? Drink the cup of salvation. Drink the cup of deliverance. Drink the cup of redemption. And then get on a team, man. Become a part of a family. That's working together to accomplish what God has for us. How do I do that? This is going to sound like a commercial, but it really is a practical step you can take. At 6 o'clock tonight, we'll gather with our life team for what we call Life Team 401. It's the last step of our life track process. And you don't have to do it in order. Tonight could be your first night to show up. And you can sit in a room and you can hear from all of the leaders who lead different ministry areas in our church and find out what makes their heart beat, what makes them passionate. You know, these guys, that they come in and they hang ropes on the chairs and they stuff cup holders. They don't do it because we negotiated the best rate and pay them well or any of that. It's because there's some people who figured out when God restored me, he restored me to serve someone else. And he made me passionate about Making sure when people come to my church, they feel welcome and warm and invited. He made me passionate about coffee and making coffee. Seriously, I mean, like, we have some people who are passionate about making coffee. I'm not. I'm passionate about drinking it. Not passionate about making it. But there's some people who, that's why it's there for you to drink every Sunday. So you could do it. You could step into this tonight. And begin to find some fulfillment by connecting with a team. Because God wants to do something with your life that's bigger than you. It's bigger than you. All these guys up here, they get it. Every single one of them takes time out of their week to practice and memorize and rehearse. And show up at a rehearsal on a Wednesday night. A family, a 
if there's any family that gets it, it's the Austin family because their house gets invaded by us all the time. It's like it's our house and they just pay for it. Seriously, that's what it feels like. Would you just close your eyes this morning? So here's, here's, a, here's the simple question I want to ask you. Are you following God's plan or are you following your plan? Whose plan for your life are you following right now? And I just got to ask, have you, even, have you even had a sip from that first cup? Have you received the free gift of salvation? I've been to church my whole life. No, that's not what I'm asking. Have you received Christ as your Savior and begun a personal relationship with Him? That's the cup of salvation. And it's free. It's a free gift. Do I have to give in the offering if I do that? No. No, you don't. It's a free gift. It's not about a church. It's about you and Jesus. In fact, I'm not even asking you to join our church. I'm just asking you to join the family of God. And you can do that this morning. If you say, Michael, that's me. I have never... I've never had the cup of salvation. I've never received Christ into my heart. I, I don't have a personal relationship with him, but today's the day I want to. I want to begin that. Listen, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward, but I do want to know that you're in the room. And if that's you, every head bowed, every eye closed, we just hold your hand up and say, hey man, today's the day. I want to drink from the cup of salvation. That's me. I see it. You can put it back down after you put it up. I see it. Anyone else? Anyone else? Come on, don't be ashamed. This isn't anything to be ashamed of. This is going to be the best day of your life. The best day of your life. Awesome. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And after we do that, I'm going to ask you to do one thing. There's a connection card in the cup holder next to you. And if you raised your hand, said today's the day I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. Would you just give us your name and your email address at least. And check that box on the front that says I'm committing my life to Christ today. We just want to send you an email with some instructions on how to get off to a good start in your walk with Christ. We want to help you get to the next three cups. And that's all we'll do. We're not going to pester you. We're not going to show up at your house. We're not going to, it's a no-hassle guarantee, all right? If you just would fill it out and check that box. and then, So I'm going to lead you in this prayer, and our whole church is actually going to say it with you. It's kind of our way of showing you that we're a family. We're in it together, welcoming you into the family of God. This morning, would you just repeat after me to say, dear Jesus, I need you. I want the cup of salvation. Please forgive me of my sins, all my mistakes. Come into my heart. Change me. Forgive me. I repent. I don't want to do life my way anymore. I want to do it your way. So I surrender to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now with your heads, just keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed for just a second. Second group of people I just want to talk to very quickly. Say, Michael, I've drank from the cup of salvation, but I feel stuck. I don't feel like I've gotten to deliverance. Or I don't feel like I've been restored and redeemed. Or I don't have any fulfillment in my life. I don't know which cup you're stuck at, but... If you were honest today, you would say, yeah, I feel stuck. Listen, I want to tell you, there's, 
some simple things you can do to get unstuck. The life track process we offer is a, is a huge piece of that. It will teach you some habits for your life that will help you keep from getting stuck. Our small groups, they're still happening right now, is a huge piece of that. The thing I really want you to do this morning is just be honest about where you're at. Just say, hey, I'm stuck because I want to pray for you. And if that's you, every head bowed, every eye closed, hey, Michael, I just want to be honest. I want to be transparent this morning. I feel stuck at one of those other cups. Would you just hold your hand up real quick? Just, just hold, yeah, all over the room. I feel stuck. I want all the promise. Listen, every promise God has for you ties back to one of these four. So we want to get you unstuck. God, you see the hands that are up this morning, and I just pray, whatever it takes, that you would right now plant seeds in the hearts of every person who raised a hand. God, give them some practical steps. Give them the right relationships. God, give them the, the, the hunger to pursue what you have for them. Help us, God, to, to, to get into your word and to find the promises you have for us. God, to understand what they are. God, to pursue them. We don't want to just sit back and wait for you. We want to pursue the promises that you have for our lives. And God, I pray that you would put it in the hearts of each and every person who raised a hand this morning to do whatever it takes, to get in a small group, to show up at a life track. God, to get into some relationships with people where they can be honest and real and say, hey, hey, I'm struggling and I need somebody to pray for me. I need to talk to somebody about this. God, help us get unstuck today. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so look right here real quick. All right, super important. Come back, come back, come back. Because I'm going to unpack. No, next week, we're going to unpack how to, how to just get yourself ready. Get yourself free so that you can pursue what God has for you in each of those four cups. And then we'll finish out the last four weeks of the series, one week on each cup. Because there's something there that God has for you that you may not even realize yet. Even in the cup of salvation? Yeah, even in the cup of salvation. All right?